the Hymn SoCal podcast series. This is Sarah Richardson, and today we are featuring a conversation with Dimitri Varsamas. Dimitri is Senior Policy Lead for Digital Primary Care, General Practice Strategy, and Contracts at NHS England. His expertise is in healthcare policy development and implementation with health service design, improvement, and evaluation. Dimitri has also served as Assistant Director for UK Supplier Strategy for Healthcare UK, a department for international trade. He has a PhD in biosensor technology and an MS in medical diagnostics from Cranefield University, as well as a BE in electronic engineering with medical electronics from the University of Kent. Dimitri serves as an external reviewer of funding applications of end-to-end project reports with the National Institute of Health Research and is an external advisor for the National Institute for Healthcare Excellence, also known as NICE. Dimitri, we are so excited to have you in the studio today, primarily because as I was researching for our time together, you have a PhD in biosensor technology, and now you're the senior policy lead for digital primary care and general practice and strategy and contracts at NHS England. With an aim to explore how the U.S. healthcare system manages to incorporate digital health approaches such as telemedicine, e-consults, video consults, and messaging between patients and physicians, how did this become an area of focus for you? Well, thank you very much for having me. Um, so I guess health and healthcare innovation has always been what I've been most interested in uh, from whenever I can remember. And uh, having spent three years in a laboratory by myself, pipetting away uh, while wearing my lab coat in a cold, dark laboratory, uh, I just knew there was something more and better that I could be doing out there in in a, in a more corporate environment. So while uh, understanding how new technologies can be developed uh, through universities and with other partners uh, was great, and it gave me a great footing in understanding, uh, therefore, innovation. But actually, uh, it I found it much more interesting to work in an environment and in a capacity where my job is to find how to roll out those innovations, find how to scale them. There are pockets of really good work happening everywhere in the world and, of course, even within every country. And as a national policy lead for digital primary care, my job is to find all those good things that are happening and and make sure that we introduce the right incentives and levers in the healthcare system in England to make sure that everyone in the country has access to those. It was fascinating about your journey to us. You had met Hal Wolf, who is the president and CEO of HIMSS, and you were at the World Health Organization in Denmark. He was speaking, and you'd approached him to come and learn more about the U.S., and he said, hey, reach out to the SoCal chapter of HIMSS. And now that you've been here interviewing different healthcare systems, different health plan providers, etc., what are you finding is the biggest surprise from what you thought you would learn before you got here and what you're experiencing since you've been here? So you're right. I was at the, back in November, at the WHO Digital Health Symposium in Denmark. Uh, at many a countries from Europe mainly were, uh, were uh, represented there. Uh, Hal Wolf was one of the keynote speakers, gave a wonderful uh, presentation, which included actually a, a, an anecdote about how uh, he tends to know more about the health and healthcare 
of uh, his pet dog uh, than perhaps family members, uh, and and that highlighting therefore uh, the issue about data uh, exchange uh, across different providers. But on so having said that, I I approached him at the end of his uh, speech. Uh, I informed him of my success in uh, in. Uh, uh, being awarded the fellowship and I asked him if he can put me in touch with uh, different relevant organizations in California for my visit. Uh, when it comes to what I've seen so far that uh, uh, I found uh, surprising, there are two ways to really answer this. At the kind of national policy level of healthcare financing, uh, which is and an awful lot of what I have to think about for primary care, uh, I've been immensely surprised by the plurality, uh, the over-plurality, for that matter, of organizations involved with collecting uh, funds from people, employers, government, state, uh, and then how all of those different monies get uh, distributed or spent on healthcare. So the number of different uh, health plans and uh, uh, organizations providing care and, and different ways to access that and the differences between uh, state to state on how much money is spent on, say, Medicaid and Medicare. It's been uh, very surprising. I can see why uh, globally people tend to refer to the U.S. healthcare system as one of immense administration, and I can see why that is the case. From a digital primary care uh, perspective, it's or even not only just primary care, but digital care perspective, it's been uh, an eye-opening experience to see the ease through which uh, primary care physicians, general practitioners, family doctors, whatever you call them, uh, can easily access uh, uh, specialist advice from their uh, specialist doctor colleagues uh, through e-consults and, and get that advice that they need on how to care for patients. And it's all done so seamlessly uh, in certain places, of course. So in England, I was surprised to learn that with 56 million people living in your country and a national healthcare system that is essentially government-funded, you don't have a singular... EHR or EMR in this case, and pulling all of that information together to be able to effectively start to put in some of these digital first models. Why is that currently so important for the English healthcare system when at some root level you do have patient information, even though you don't have all of it necessarily coming together in a singular entity? What components from what you've learned here, like e-consults, like the ability to pull in a third-party translator, et cetera, how is that going to move towards the end game that you're looking to bring to England? Yes, it's been uh, we've it, it's been very interesting to see how different healthcare systems or uh, healthcare plans uh, evolve over time. So uh, some of your healthcare plans, be it our health plans, be it Kaiser Permanente or the VA, have been around for. Uh, just as long, if not longer, than our National Health Service. But um, I think we've reached that place where we've done as much as we could in our 70-plus years of having really robust uh, primary care out in the community and really good 
secondary or hospital care in hospitals. Uh, what we haven't achieved yet is to bring those together uh, to the extent that it is possible and has been possible for a while through single uh, or shared records. Uh, we tried at the national level to make, ma make our own effectively uh, EHR, EMR solution back in the 2000s. Uh, we tried, failed, tried again. And after many years and an awful lot of money uh, spent, we were unable to actually roll anything out. That was in the 2000s. Um, and we've learned from that mistake, uh, which is why we've not gone down the route of, of making a single solution or asking everyone to use a single solution. So we're allowing for uh, different different organizations in primary care, in hospital care, anywhere to uh, choose a solution that works for them so long as they are interoperable and they talk to other uh, uh, IT solutions. So, Dimitri, do you see the, the interoperability piece and the moving to the digital first models? Is this something that consumers want in England or is this more of a push from the government as the primary payer, or even the providers, your your physicians who are providing care to the patients to help get to that space of, we are doing things in a unified manner, even though we are using our own technologies or our own platforms to get there. It's definitely all parties involved, which is probably why we reached that stage where we are significantly accelerating uh, the rate uh, by which we are keen to move to a place where all patients through all primary care physicians or the organizations that employ them uh, are, are able to access digital first solutions uh, in how they interact with the healthcare systems or primary care more specifically. So we've seen for a few years now, we've had a small uh, but uh, an existing uh, a range of uh, private uh, providers offering uh, a, a an out-of-pocket uh, sol solution to to the public uh, to access uh, general practice or primary care, um, and that's great. Uh, we've reached that stage where we know that the innovation and the technologies are out there. We've introduced a digital ways of interacting with every other aspect of, of how we live our lives. Uh, the UK is actually uh, uh, has the highest uh, uh, rate of uh, e-commerce in Europe, at least. So people do use the internet and online means and smartphones to, to do everything else, uh, our banking in part as well. Uh, what we haven't quite cracked, therefore, is the uh, approach on how we introduce those in general, in primary care and in healthcare more widely. From your experience, where does the line intersect for the rollout of innovation that could be created and theoretically accessible very quickly versus the pace at which the NHS has traditionally been able to respond? Yes, so we are having a very public discussion on this, and no doubt not only in the UK. Um, on the one hand, we want to make sure that our healthcare systems remain safe and become even safer for that matter. You have the FDA, we have other equivalent organizations responsible for, uh, uh, for the in introduction of innovations and new technologies. Uh, now, uh, 
the NHS is most definitely a healthcare system being uh, at the national level that uh, has always taken an approach of first do no harm. We do see increasingly, however, uh, not only in healthcare, but more widely in the digital arena, uh, more and more organizations uh, uh, being keen to uh, basically move fast and break things. And those two different approaches of how you innovate and roll out innovations are not quite in sync. Uh, so we are keen to not stifle innovation. At the same time, we want to make sure that they are safe uh, and are introduced in safe ways. You've worked in healthcare regulation, hospital services, provider inv- improvement, healthcare purchasing, national clinical policy and trade, in addition to academic experience in medical devices and biosensor development research at the PhD level. What do you see as the major difference between the academic, governmental, and business world when it comes to healthcare? So you're right, there are big differences in how academia, uh, industry, and governments uh, tackle things and, and how, how quickly they move or when they choose to make a move for that matter. So uh, many times I've needed some national policy evaluated and, and you know that the best people to go to would be academics. And however, at the same time, you know that they will probably want to take three years to evaluate something because that's how long a PhD uh, lasts in, in the UK at least. Uh, so, so there's something about the pace by which academia is able to move or keen to move. Um, and I don't want this to sound too negative uh, because at the same time, they are the best places to, to incubate and and identify those new solutions, I should say. The industry then, of course, does a really good job, and I've most definitely seen that here in California, in uh, in, in being the, the sort of the right partner to take some of those ideas and grow them into, into a sensible product, into a, a digital solution that will benefit all parties, uh, the, the payers, the... Uh, the providers, the patients, governments, of course, or state level, or uh, as it happens to be here, or national level uh, in in other places, uh, and and of course the US as well. Um, their job, of course, is mainly to make sure that the money spent publicly on healthcare is spent well, and their job is to make sure, therefore, that digital solutions that become available are not just rolled out and used and money spent on them, public money, if they're not going to ultimately benefit uh, the patients uh, at patient level or population level. So the UK has good outcomes based on cost. And it's the measure that we've used internationally to determine if healthcare is working or not. Yet you and I have chatted that it's not the right one necessarily. It doesn't include wellness, well-being, or the importance of it. How do you take that perspective that you had just shared and start to morph it into the right way to measure whether or not we're delivering the right aspects of healthcare to patients, to providers, et cetera? Right. So, yes, many a times I've when I worked at the Ministry for International Trade uh, and I would have healthcare decision makers uh, visit from uh, 
ministries from all around the world, I would be very proud to show them the latest OECD uh, charts highlighting how well the UK healthcare or English healthcare system uh, is doing compared to others when it comes to outcomes or based on how much money we spend on healthcare, our public healthcare. Um, that is, it, it's a good high-level indicator, but it should never become the only indicator used uh, to measure how well a healthcare system uh, uh, performs. Uh, and that is where I think digital health can help. For the, the last few years, you see more and more uh, uh, focus being put on mental health, for example, or prevention. And no country has definitely uh, cracked uh, how to, to, to deal with these issues of how can we prevent uh, unnecessary uh, health care, how can we keep people healthier, how can we make sure that uh, people's mental health uh, uh, is, uh, or mental health problems are treated. And that's where I see uh, digital health innovations being able to accelerate how much different countries can do in that front. And the more people talk about those aspects and the more uh, people are trying to find solutions uh, for mental health uh, issues, for uh, ways to prevent unnecessary uh, care, uh, I think the more, therefore, we will be talking about how can we measure these and incorporate those types of aspects and social determinants of health in how we measure the performance of any country on health and health care. In the U.S., the top priority for voters as we prepare for an election next year is health care. Specifically, high costs from drug companies. You mentioned the plurality and the administrative costs from insurance companies. We also have the hospitals, doctors, and of course, our government. How do healthcare priorities manifest themselves in England, and how do your politicians respond? So, health and healthcare uh, are important matters globally, and I'm sure uh, people are concerned uh, in every country about how their governments uh, try to either improve the population and people's health uh, or uh, increase access to health care. Um, in the UK, we have public forums through which the people can voice their concerns at the local level or regional and county or national level. And all of the public bodies involved uh, with our healthcare system, which is effectively a public healthcare system, have to consult on any changes they want to make to what they provide, how they provide it, who they provide it to. So public conversations and consultations on changes that we are making in our healthcare system or want to make, uh, or we think are a good idea, also happen at the national level. So we are publicly uh, consulting uh, uh, through NHS England and other public bodies on everything that we want to introduce. Uh, we have taken uh, a couple of public consultations in the last couple of years on digital first primary care, actually. So uh, part of my job has been to uh, develop policy options at the national level of how we can introduce uh, uh, synchronous and asynchronous uh, uh, telemedicine in our primary care system. And there is no single way to do those. And therefore, we've had to 
develop our policy options, consult with the public, with all different partners, uh, and, and work with our politicians and their ministries to see how we can then uh, affect those changes and improvements. As senior policy lead for digital primary care in, in NHS England, where has the largest impact in terms of policy been realized for NHS and where would you like to see it move first? On that last point, we definitely have a lot to learn from uh, Southern California on the electronic health records uh, approach uh, that uh, you've taken here. So in the National Health Service in England, we have good uh, records, patient records in primary care, and they've been digitized for many decades now. Uh, And we have relatively good records in our hospital environment. What we don't have is a single good enough record across the two uh, parts of our healthcare system. Uh, So there's definitely uh, a lot we can do, and quickly, I would hope, when it comes to uh, digitizing care and records uh, to allow for primary care and hospital care to talk to each other much more effectively. And we've got pockets of true innovation, obviously, here in the United States as well. We have struggled to expand what we have seen because of the fragmented nature of our healthcare system. How true is that for you in England as well? Yeah, so people assume that the NHS is a monolith and uh, while it is a single payer system, it's comprised of thousands of organizations, at, let alone the national level. At the regional and local level, we have uh, organiza- parts of the NHS that uh, do effectively the, the insurer's role. Uh, so we, at, from the national level, give most of the healthcare budgets to the local level parts of the NHS at, say, county or state equivalent. Uh, Their job is to purchase care from the providers, from the hospitals. And while all of those different parts may be NHS-owned or branded, uh, so NHS money used to deliver NHS care through NHS organizations, but not always, uh, the as you can see, there's not a single body making all the decisions. Uh, so perhaps while we may not be as fragmented because everyone is covered through the same healthcare system, we definitely have an awful lot of players with different roles in our system. Dimitri, as part of your fellowship, you've had the opportunity to research what's happening in the US, Australia, New Zealand. When you think about what you have seen and some of the either policy or the digital first approaches, what aspect gives you the most hope when it comes to the globalization of innovation in healthcare? So while health and healthcare uh, may differ from country to country in how they are organized, paid for, uh, and delivered, actually, when it comes to the digital solutions that we can all use, they, they can be by and large the same. So while in England and the UK, we may not need uh, your uh, the solutions that you use uh, to uh, bill uh, for healthcare, uh, we won't have a need for those. We have uh, just as much of a need for your EHR solutions and EMR solutions or telemedicine solutions. And the same applies to every other country. 
So what I what I think is happening currently is that uh, sm- small and large digital tech companies are able to move much faster when it comes to taking some of their innovations and solutions to other countries, which is only a good thing. Uh, we don't all need to be reinventing the the same solutions or similar solutions for the same problems that we all have, and through uh, cross border working and being able to. To, to offer your solutions digitally through cloud, through the cloud and so on, it means that a lot of those innovations and a lot of those companies can move much faster and, and, and equally healthcare systems can therefore get access to those solutions at a faster rate. Do you see a time, Dimitri, when we've got these solutions that, to your point, don't have to be specific to a problem or a country? We're looking to be able to solve for something that everybody's facing no matter where that they no matter where they live they have a smartphone they have 5g they're willing to pay out of pocket all of a sudden you now have a patient anywhere in the world who's completely bypassing a quote-unquote healthcare system it's very likely that we will see uh that happen uh just in in the same ways that we access our entertainment globally and 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 uh, our banking and so on uh that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, machine learning and AI uh, innovations uh, will definitely help with uh, being able to make healthcare more streamlined and and get the right people access to the right type of care. And I I, I certainly believe that some of the solutions will not n- need to be created in every different country. However, there will need to be a, a certain amount of tailoring for the local populations, for the local healthcare services available. It's not quite the same as accessing a, a list of uh, songs or films from uh, uh, your smart TV anywhere in, in the world. And even those, of course, are tailored to some extent uh, to the local people, uh, or even the individual. Dimitri, as we end our time together and, and you think about what you're doing in terms of truly developing digital first models of primary care for your country, how do you see or how would you like to see the work that you're doing cascade into learnings that others can share on a more global perspective? So as we've said, healthcare is moving at an at a increasing pace. Uh, mainly due to the easier and faster and ultimately digital ways through which patients can interact with doctors, doctors can interact with each other, and so on. And we are all trying to find ways through which we can uh, keep costs down to the extent possible and make our healthcare systems more efficient, make sure that patients have faster, easier access to to the healthcare that they need. And I most definitely think that the way to achieve all of this is through digital uh, means, just as uh, we've managed to improve and uh, revolutionize uh, so many other aspects of our lives uh, through digital solutions. Dimitri, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you in the studio today. Thank you for taking the time to stop by the SoCal Hymns recording studio. We wish you safe travels and we thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the SoCal Hymns podcast series. 
Special thanks to Callister Harmon, our audio and mixing engineer, for helping us produce our podcast. Thank you.